You're listening to Transform Your Profits, the podcast for accountants who want to build a more profitable, successful, and impactful accounting firm. Your host is Reza Huda, a practice owner, mentor, and coach to accounting firm owners. Hello, hello. Welcome to today's podcast. Hope you're having a great start to the day. So today is a guest podcast. I am fortunate to have with me a very clever man who has written a lot of books. And his name is Reginald Thomas Lee. Now, Reginald was introduced to me by a mutual friend, Ron Baker. If you're an accountant, you will know Ron Baker, who is the guru of all things value pricing and has been talking about ditching the billable hour and getting rid of timesheets for the best part of about three decades now. Um, and uh, yeah, it's amazing we're still having these same conversations. But I heard uh, of Reginald on one of Ron's podcasts and then got in touch with him. We had a chat and he kindly agreed to come on my podcast to talk to you about busting the myths of profitability and getting rid of timesheets or actually coming to the realization that do we really need timesheets and are we actually what are we using timesheets for? Why are we using them? And is there a better way for the information and the decisions that we are making from timesheets? And clearly there is. So uh, have a listen to this uh, podcast. It was, uh, well, it was actually a live session I did. We're now putting it onto the podcast. A very interesting discussion with Reginald at a much um, it's quite uh, it's quite deep. Uh, it will get you thinking for sure. And if you did if you do enjoy it, then uh, check out his books, which I mention at the end as well. Certainly, his book "Lies, Damn Lies, and Cost Accounting." What a fantastic title! Eh? Um, uh, helped me to actually articulate some of the stuff that I had been thinking about and intuitively knowing that works, but didn't really have the language until I came across his book. So it's uh, yeah, it's really insightful uh, episode and. Uh, no doubt you'll get some value from it. So without further ado, let's get straight in and I'll see you as always on the other side. Take care. Um, I was having a, a very brief conversation with Reginald before we started, but Reginald, just, let's kick off with kick off with, uh, with an executive summary of that book, Lies, Damn Lies and Cost Accounting, because it's quite a niche book. So I'm guessing there's probably not that many, I'm just making a wild assumption here, just like we do with Cost Accounting, that um, there's not many probably in the audience here that have may maybe read that book, but I recommend you do so. So if you were to give an executive summary of that book in a minute or two, what would that be? And let, let's kick off with that and then we'll take the conversation from there. Sure. First of all, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate that. The um, Lies, Damn Lies book, basically looks at what cost accounting is and the decisions that we make from cost accounting and challenges whether the math that we use makes sense. So for example, and it's really, really part of the genesis of this was when I was a professor and I was talking about cost reduction. So I was an engineering professor at the time and a student said, well, if you reduce costs, but you're still paying them, how have you saved money? And so when you think about that, when you think about cost reduction, when you think about cost management, the question is, is it telling us what we really think it's telling us? Does it tell us how much we're spending when we make that product, when we perform that activity? And I argue in the book that the answer is no, that the cost really is nothing more than an opinion of the value of the capacity or resources that are consumed, but it really has nothing to do with money. But because we do think it's money in many cases, 
it causes us to make decisions that could be negative or have a negative impact on our organizations. Fantastic. Excellent. Okay. So if we were to talk about profitability in particular, then, so, you know, with the, with the accountants in mind and on the, on the basis that, you know, generally we use, we use, you know, profitability to figure out whether we are doing well or not. And I like your take on it in terms of, you know, are you, would you, would you, you know, is it about making profit or is it about making money? Mm -hmm. So if you could kind of just hit that on the head in terms of the way people typically use profitability in order to manage their business to see how well that they're doing and just kind of reframe that, you know, in your own words, like you do so well to kind of get us thinking around, you know, are we actually using the right numbers, the right metrics and the right measures to run our business and what we kind of should be looking at instead of what we are looking at? Sure, sure. So I think providing a little bit of context. I'm a, um, I'm a student of gold wrap. So I read the goal early on, uh, became a Jonah. And one of the things that really drove home for me from the gold rat training is the importance of making money as an organization. And so I think that that's where um, the difference between profit and making money started standing out. I was in graduate school getting my, uh, my doctorate in engineering. And part of what I wanted to do was explain the business impact of what it was that we were doing from an engineering perspective. And that's when I realized the math didn't make sense. So I started looking into why, and that's where I started to see the divergence. So when we look at costs, and an example that I like to give is this, landline telephones. We pay a certain amount for access on a monthly basis, but we used to pay a certain amount for long distance. So let's say it's in, in the US 10 cents a minute for a long distance call. So if I spend 10 minutes on a long distance call, I know it's gonna cost me a dollar. However, if I ask you what a 10 minute local call is gonna cost, then that starts creating questions because we can't really come up with a single way to determine what that cost is. And so what I propose is that when we calculate these costs, they're not necessarily money. So that creates a problem. The first problem is when I start thinking about managing costs, what is it that I'm truly managing? Am I managing how much I'm spending or am I managing the, the efficiency with which I use resources? Problem number one. Problem number two is this. If you think about the, the profit that we calculate, let's say that revenue is money. But if costs are not money, then mathematically, I just can't do that. That's like subtracting strawberries from pizzas, right? It just doesn't make any sense. And so when people say, well, aren't costs money? My question is this. If I make a widget and if I say that the widget cost me $5, who am I giving that $5 to? Because I should see a cash transaction every time that I create another widget, or I should save $5 if I don't make another widget. And the same thing happens with activities. We're big on the activity-based costing, but if it costs me $50 to process an invoice, who am I giving that $50 to? And if there's no cash transaction, it's not money. And so if it's not money, then the question is, what is profit? What's profit telling us? And should we be managing our organizations based on profit or should we be managing our organizations based on cash? And so the proposition is both in Lies, Damn Lies and in the follow-on book, Strategic Cost Transformation, is that we should really be focused on making money for our organization. So if I'm a CPA firm, for example, when I start thinking about the profitability of doing work with a customer, what's that telling me? Now, I know I'm going to generate revenue. But if I've got salaried resources for my organization and I say, okay, so it's going to cost me $40,000 to do this particular project, for example, question is, is it? 
Is it, you know, are you, is your organization going to spend $40,000 to go out and serve this particular customer? And that's in all likelihood or most likelihoods, unless you're doing a lot of, um, you know, if you're, if, if, if you're hiring part-time workers, uh, if you don't have full-time salaried workers, then it might be different. But if I've got all salary workers, really what you're saying is, so this person makes $40,000 a year. Uh, they're going to spend a year on this project. So it's going to cost me $40,000. But the answer is no, it's not. Because if they didn't do that project, you'd still have to pay them $40,000. So I ran into this problem when I was working for uh, for a big firm. I was a practice leader in supply chain. And one of the concerns was making sure we had profitable projects. And so we would turn around, turn away large projects because the profit wasn't there. However, one of the arguments that I had was we're paying these people to be on the bench. So either A, we generate cash, even though it's unprofitable, or we don't generate anything in the hopes of becoming more profitable. So what I find is that organizations, when they focus on profit, are chasing, basically chasing a unicorn. It's mathematically a number that doesn't make an awful lot of sense. Um, and and you know, it doesn't make a lot, a lot of sense in that. Uh, you know, for instance, when it comes to calculating a cost, right? It's subjective. What method am I going to choose? What rates am I going to choose? How am I going to allocate? These are all decisions. So that's where the subjectivity comes in. And then when you start thinking about the use of resources, for example, the people who work for our firm, I pay them money whether they do create output or not. So mathematically, there's no relationship between the two. But I have to create a relationship to calculate a cost. So mathematically, that's an arbitrary relationship. So all these things start happening. And you start wondering, well, so why do we do this at all? Now, I have to do it from a reporting perspective. Got it. But managerially, if I'm, a, if, if I'm running my own CPA firm, I'd be after trying to make money for my firm. And in that context, then the question is, what revenue am I generating? And do I have, what, you know, how efficiently and effectively am I using my resources to generate that? That's not about costing. That's all about managing the operations, cash transactions, and how I manage the projects that I do. And then how I choose to account for them is a separate issue. Brilliant. Absolutely. So let's, so, so taking it home to uh, an accounting firm, a CPA firm, who are perhaps they are, they've moved away from the billable hours. They know that, that pricing doesn't come from costs. Kind of, you know, we we know that pricing doesn't come from cost. You know, pricing is about taking a share, capturing a share of the value that you are creating in the world. Mm -hmm. But there are still many firms who are holding on to the timesheet to see whether they are profitable by client or not. So, how would you, you know, what would your answer be to that method? And it's kind of in line with what you've already said. But if you just kind of bring it home and explain it in terms of what are they trying to do there? Why is it problematic? And what should they be looking at instead? Sure. So when we start looking at profitability, the question I have is what decisions are you choosing to make or what information are you looking to get from that number? So if I'm thinking it's determining how much money I'm making, then we can go back to the previous point and say, well, it's not telling me that. Now, if I want to understand how effectively I'm serving customers, actually, we just wrote an article about this, a student of mine, a former student of mine and I, called uh, Why Customer Profitability makes, more, makes No Sense. And the idea behind it is this. If I look at the profitability of a customer and I say, well, geez, it costs me more to serve them than, I, than I'm generating in revenue, what will I do? I'll get rid of them. Now, if I keep my people, 
from a cash perspective, what's happened is I've lost that revenue. So I don't have that coming in, but I still am paying my people to be there. So my cash out of the organization is the same. So I've actually lost money as a result of making that decision. So what we've done is we said, okay, instead of looking at profitability, I can really get this, the exact same information by looking at the resources that are consumed and serving a customer. And so when you look at the resources consumed, that's an input. The output is what I end up generating in revenue. Mathematically, that ends up being efficiency. So our suggestion is if what you're trying to do is understand which customers are more efficient than the others, not which ones am I making money or losing money on, but which ones are more efficient, then you can shift to that metric, not calculate that cost using subject math, subjective math and arbitrary math and say, all right, you know what, this customer consumes so much more of my resources than this customer at the same revenue number. So therefore, customer A, for instance, is less efficient. Now, as a, re as a business, do I want to get rid of that revenue or do I want to work on serving them more efficiently and more effectively so that they're not consuming as many of my resources? Does that make sense? So it's really the decisions that I want to make and saying, okay, so you know, do I want to get rid of this customer? Well, if I get rid of this customer, I need to understand that if I want to try to make more money as a, as a result of that, I've got to either A, fill that in with a revenue generating opportunity or B, reduce my infrastructure. And so, you know, if it's about making money, then I want to, I, I need to model it differently. I need to understand what's causing me to realize revenue, what's causing me to spend cash. And then as a result of that, manage my customer, my customer portfolio that way. And so one of the things I find is that when you're focused on profit, then you start making decisions that won't necessarily be able to drive more profit. I'll give you an example. When you start thinking about timesheets. I, what, I, what I want to understand with timesheets is, am I doing this work in many cases in an efficient manner? And because if I'm going to, well, in, for you guys in the UK, since you're not charging based on, on, on uh, you know, cost plus, it's a little bit different. But when I take a look at my resources and say, well, gee, you know, why did it take, take you so long to do this? It's affecting profitability. Well, you know, it might be, but then it might also be putting you in a position to drive revenue. For instance, that conversation that you and I had before we kicked this off, with my work, it's inherently inefficient because I spend a lot of time doing research. I create bespoke solutions for my clients. I don't like to package something up and say, hey, this worked for A. You're kind of sort of like, A. Hey, let's apply it here. Let's take a look at your situation. Let's drive business value based on what you're challenging. So for me, what I find is that because it's inefficient, because it's tied to the client, I can charge more money for that project, right? So if you're focused on... Um, the consumption of resources, if I'm focused on being efficient to drive profits, what you might end up doing is putting yourself in a position where you're going to limit the value of the opportunity and therefore the money you can make. I think another thing that we that I run into a lot is this. When I'm focused on the profitability, then I'll limit the number of resources that can come onto my project, right? For example, you start thinking about partner time. Oh, well, you're too expensive to bring onto this project. I don't want you on my project. It's going to affect the profitability. From a cash perspective, it makes no sense because the partner is getting paid regardless, right? So it's not as if putting that partner on this project is going to cost you more cash. It's going to cost you from a, a profitability perspective, but not from a cash perspective. But by not bringing that partner on, her value to the organization, her value to the solution, her value to the relationship with the client is now compromised to, to chase after this, this number that is not really telling us what we think it is. Mm, yeah yeah absolutely and um the way i kind of um 
way I kind of look at it is that, you know, it's about, you know, pr pricing is, we need to get better at pricing. We need to become better prices, realize that prices don't come from costs and prices come from the value we create in the world. So what does value mean for our clients and how can we increase the actual and perceived value for what we do? And oftentimes it's a, it's a case of that most practitioners are, haven't quite tapped into that and they're trying to be all things to all people. And when you do that, then you're not going to be able to charge more than the competition because you look like them. So it's a business model issue that if you get really clear on who you serve and the value you create for a really specific group of people, then the perceived value of your offer will be much higher than others. When the perceived value of your offer compared to others is higher, you can charge more because pricing is about taking a share of the value you create. So your pricing is going to determine how much cash comes in at the top end. Right. And then in, in terms of what you're saying about, you know, how do we drive profitability? We just go back to basics. Right. It's uh, what comes in, less what goes out is what we're left with. And mm -hmm. as accountants, sometimes we overcomplicate things, but we don't need to. So we focus on driving that figure up and then to get, at, you know, to make sure that the profit that comes out at the end is as large as possible. Then the rate at which we take on cost has to, you know, we need to slow that down. How do we do that? Again, by being really clear on who we serve and serving a particular niche helps to do that because then we're kind of doing the same thing. We can systemize our internal processes, but also getting better at sharing and leveraging the intellectual and knowledge of capital within our organizations, mm -hmm. having clear processes, sharing that knowledge, leveraging that knowledge. After all, our people are individuals, they're human beings, you know, some, one person might take longer to do something just because, you know, they may be uh, they may be really particular, but, you know, on the other hand, they're really great with clients. We cannot judge someone's input based upon what we see on a timesheet. People are individuals. We need to look at them holistically. Um, so I think what, what's come out of yours is, is kind of giving me the language to then say, well, you know, I'm, I was I was OK with the pricing side of things. But the profitability side is, yes, it's simply the difference between getting as much cash in, which is driven by your pricing, slowing the rate of your cost down, which is kind of making those uh, those processes more uniform and sharing that knowledge capital within your organization. And that's how you generate the profitability. You know, and you bring up a good point as I was listening to you, it reminded me of a major insurance client that we had they had a process where when you have new contracts, you have to take the information and our contracts into the system, right? So very simple contract. I take a name, address, put in the system. Complex, I've got to do research. I've got to think through, I've got to find information. So they were just arbitrarily assigning people to doing the different types of contracts and wondering why they weren't productive. If you start thinking about this, kind of to your point of being, you know, people are individuals, you look at skill sets, the proper application of the individuals. We said, hey, let's break this thing down and say, well, you know, there are certain people who are really good at this. Let's have those people do that. <laughs> now, there are certain people who are really good at the complexity. Let's have those people do that. And just by aligning the work, what I'm not doing is getting mad at someone saying, well, why aren't you faster at this? Well, I don't have a skill set. I'm not really good at that. If we think through it and break down the work appropriately, then we can align the resources in a way, like you said, so that we can serve the customer a lot more effectively without having to hire a significant number of ineffective resources. Mm, absolutely.
Absolutely. So if you've got any questions or listening to this, if this is kind of resonating with you, or even if it's not, and you're still, you know, you're not convinced, or you, you still have some, uh, you know, some questions in the back of your mind, then, then do put them, uh, do put them to uh, to us. And I will ask, um, I'll put them to Reginald and, and get his take on it. So use use this opportunity uh, for that purpose. I think we've got one coming up here from Frank. How can one value price for research, i.e. contracting app providers, reading, creating bespoke packages for individual clients, sort of non-compliant stuff. Original, do, do, do you want to take that one? Do you know, kind of understand the question? I'm just mulling it over in my head as well. I, yeah, so am I, because I'm not really a pricing guy. Yeah. Um, so when I think about value pricing for research, um, that does become a challenge because I start thinking through what do I want the research to be able to create for me? Okay. This becomes really a complex situation. Like let's take pharma, for example. Um, in, in talking to a, a biotech firm a couple months ago, the question is if, if they come to us and ask us for, um, to do research for them, what would we charge? And we didn't get that, that far into the conversation, but that's part of, of, of what, what could have become the, the, the calculation, right? So the, the question in my mind is, what do you want the research to be able to create for you? What value will this research have for your organization? For instance, is a research, is a research gonna allow you to create apps that become more um, efficient within the organization? That's one type of value. If, it cre if it's about being able to, to have a, an impact on a company's ability to go into the market and create new, either A, a competitive advantage in the market, or B, to create new markets, then I think that that's, that same app development time could be of more value. So I think that putting it in the context of what does this mean for you will create the value for the customer. Does that make sense? So if I'm able to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to make your back offices 10% more efficient from this app, it may be worth X. If the same app, for instance, speaking really, really hypothetically, could take you into a new market, and could drive two, three, four X the revenues, then I think that, that that price could be much higher. So when we start thinking about this, the question becomes, what's the context for the work that you do as it relates to that particular organization? And if you find then that the revenues being generated aren't as high as you'd like, then the question becomes, going back to your point, who is it that I'm serving, right? Am I just pre trying to be all people to all, all things to all people? Then certain times that app won't drive revenue and am I foregoing the opportunity to go after higher revenue opportunities with other companies by saying, hey, you know, I can take this information and put you in a position where you're twice as competitive now in the market as you previously were. And so that then starts when we start taking a look at the value of the portfolio we're serving could have a huge impact. Um, we start thinking about creating uh, bespoke packages. It really depends on what what they mean by that. Um, but for instance, with all of my work, it's about, let's take a look at what your challenges are. So a little bit of context. Uh, my work primarily focuses on driving cash value for organizations. When I talk about cash, I'm not talking about working capital. It's how much money am I spending being in business? How much, am I reven how much revenue am I generating? So when you take a look at that, the question is for that particular project and for that particular client, what is it that you're trying to realize from this work? So if you want a million dollars worth of revenue, then that particular solution is going to have a different design or a different approach and even a different price than a $5 million project. 
And so if you tie it to the value that's being generated as a result or what the, the uh, output can create for your organization, that be can become the basis of the value. And then you use achieving that then to be your source of being able to say, well, this is why I would charge this for that particular opportunity. But then again, this is more, much more your space than it is mine. <laughs> Absolutely. You made some good points there. And um, yeah, just, just to add on that in terms of, uh, pricing for kind of one-off projects uh, that we get involved in. So, for example, if you're a, you're an accountant, then typically you'd be, a, you know, you'd be advising on the tax planning project, for example, that might be outside the scope of your regular recurring work. So generally, we would do two types of work. There's the monthly recurring stuff, which is the annual cycle of doing accounts, tax returns, bookkeeping, um, you know, VAT returns, sales tax returns, that sort of thing throughout the course of the year. And the other type of work would be the, the one-off project work, which might be, you know, there's a, there's a new business structure that needs to be put in place. There is a, an acquisition of a new business. There is some due diligence. There is maybe... Um, you know, some estate planning, something like that, which is outside the scope of your normal recurring work. So recurring work, non-recurring work, but non-recurring work in terms of, you know, what I, what, what I kind of help accountants to do is to, when you value price the non-recurring work, it's about taking a step back because often accountants will wade in with the answer because we have, you know, we are experts and we know our stuff. We just give the answers away and we'll give it away too cheaply. Uh, but actually, we need to take time to get to know what the real underlying problems and challenges are for the client, just like a doctor would do to take a step back to listen a bit more. Because, you know, as they say, you know, prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Mm -hmm. So we need to take the time to diagnose what is the problem, what is the client looking to achieve, what is the end result. And rather than putting all the risk on the client and just charging by the hour to take a step back to really invest into finding out what the problem is and then quantify that problem in some kind of numeric terms. So when it comes to tax, it's quite straightforward. It's okay, fine, you're, you know, you're liable to pay X amount of tax. If you do nothing, we can do X, Y, and Z, or we can get your tax down by X amount, right? Mm -hmm. And that is the value of your solution. So there's an economic value to that solution. And when you take the time out to figure out what that is, then you can value price that project based upon the economic value that you're to generate. And you can do a similar sort of thing with, and a profit improvement, for example, or uh, taking into account the risk of buying a business or selling a uh, business. Get a numeric number that uh, relates to that particular project and use that as the anchor to value price a one-off project. Um, and I've got lots of training on this, so feel free to go in and check out my podcast if you want to, uh, whoever has asked that question. Uh, but again, using the, 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 the pricing methodology, using three options, that works. The more you, because what clients are looking for is, is a result. They want a result from you and they're happy to pay for a result. And what drives higher prices is your ability to give certainty in what they pay, your ability to give choice so they can choose which option they go for based upon what their preference are, what their risk profile is, and your ability to give, to, to take risk away. Because when you can take risk away and give a guarantee, then again, the value of your solution just goes up higher. So for example, when I'm value pricing a one-off project, in my all singing, all dancing premium package, I will, I will have an option, tick box there, which says um, fee guarantee, meaning that if we do this planning 
and after in you know, and you know IRS or HMRC inquire into it and we go through all the motions at the end of it the courts decide that didn't work you're going to have to pay the tax anyway then you get your fee back so it's a completely risk free for the client but they should they should we should, we can charge more for that and the client is willing to pay more for that because we're taking risk away it's so actually knowing and that all boils down to value that's what value is in the eyes of your clients. You're getting better at understanding what that value is and then pricing that in for you to get a higher share of the value that you are creating. Uh, so I hope that helps you, Frank, uh, with that. Okay, so let's just quickly move on. There's a question coming in from Anne about timesheets. How can, what language can be used with senior management to point out the shortcomings of timesheets without threatening them? <laughs> <laughs> How would you want to answer that, Reginald? Absolutely. I think it's, it's and you used a word earlier, framing. It's, it's about framing the decisions that are being made. And so when I talk to organizations about this, it goes back to the, and it, it's really kind of interesting taking a step, step back. I guarantee my work as well. And it's, if you don't make more money, then you don't pay. It's that, and so I think that that's part of the driving, the, the reasons behind some of the, the research before. But that's that's an aside. But um, with this, the question is, what decisions are you looking to make? Are you trying to be more profitable? Or are you trying to make more money? So if you're trying to make more money, then the question becomes, it's, it's it, it it we're shifting the results to or the focus to outcomes to results and not necessarily about um, how much time I'm spending on the work. So for instance, kind of going back to the points that you made with value pricing, if what I want to do is drive the highest value to the customer, then what I want to do is bring on the resources that can help me do that. Does it matter how much time they spent on it? No. What matters is the outcome. Now, if I'm managing my CPA firm, I've got to be careful in saying, what I don't want to do is throw all of my resources on a particular project. Totally get that. But what we don't want to do is start focusing so much on how much time are you spending on this that we compromise the value. So that conversation shifts when we go back and ask the question, is it about profit or is it about money? And then sometimes customers will come back and say, well, it's about both. And I say, well, we got to pick one because if I've got a situation where I can increase the amount of money that I make, but that compromises profit, am I okay? Or if I choose a situation where I maximize accounting profit, but I reduce the amount of money I make, is that okay? And there are situations where either one can very easily happen. So, and to your point, the first question is starting off with what decisions are you making with this information? Are you trying to figure out how much money you're making or how much profit you're generating? If it's about money, then the question is, how are timesheets helping you? That's about the outcomes. Are we getting things done quickly? Are we doing what the customer is ex expecting us to deliver? And are we driving the price that we should get from a value perspective? That's independent of how much time I spend on the project. Because as I mentioned before, my projects are very, very inefficient. I think that they drive, based on the information I've gotten from customers, very high value. Now, if the issue is, well, I need to know how, how much profit I'm making, the question is, what's that telling you? Is that telling you any anything differently from the efficiency metrics, for instance, that I mentioned before? If I want to understand how efficiently I'm, I'm uh, delivering projects, I don't necessarily need the timesheet. I can take a look at, all right, so here's the outcome. Here's how long it took us to get the outcome. So for instance, if I've got a project plan and I expect something to get done in two weeks and it took three weeks to get it done, 
then there's something wrong that happened there. Now, is it because the person was not competent to do the work? That's a management issue. Is it that I misjudged the, 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 the amount of time it should take to get this outcome? That's a me issue. If it's that the person is screwing around, then that's another management issue. And so what we should be focusing on is instead of how much time someone spends on the, on the outcome, it's the timing of the outcome and getting them there. And so one of the things that, and I had this conversation with someone um, last week, that some organizations are shifting away from, you know, I don't care if you work from nine to five. What I want to do is make sure that when this stuff is due, you get it done and you get it done in a quality manner. So does it matter that you took an hour to do it? Does it matter that, that you took three hours? Or does it matter that when I needed it at, at five o'clock on Friday, you delivered it at five o'clock on Friday? It's great value. And I'm able to use this in serving our, our customers or our clients. And so which is more important? And the other thing that we think about with, with uh, timesheets is how much time it takes to, to, spend, to, to generate them, right? So as Ed Class, um, who talked about timesheets an awful lot, has, has said, you know, who doesn't fudge timesheets? People fudge timesheets. And it becomes so focused. For instance, when I was working in Big Four, I remember very clearly that there's a big push on getting timesheets in by 10 o'clock. I was on a first date with a woman, first date. <laughs> and I realized I hadn't done, done my timesheet. So I had to actually go out to my car. And she said, well, was, was this not a good date? And I said, no, you don't understand. I got to get my timesheet in. Now, the question is, what's that going to tell them? I'm going to fake this information because, you know, some people write some of that stuff down. Some of it's estimating. Some of it is, oh, you know, it's supposed to take an hour. I'm going to write an hour. Some of it's, well, it took me an hour, but it's supposed to take 30 minutes. I'm still going to report that hour. What all is going on in your mind, right? And can I go through, figure out the information so that I can even calculate this, this profit appropriately. So, I mean, it, there's so many questions about what it's trying to do. What I want to understand from leadership is why is it so important? It's almost like a, like a drug of choice for leaders, right? You know, some of them, I, I know it's bad. I know it's fudged, but I got to have it. I know it's bad <laughs> for me. You know, if I could just break this habit, I would, but I, I you know, I got to shoot up. I, I, I just don't get it. Let's try, try to focus on what we need to understand. What we need to understand is what value are we driving? That's going to be the top line that you mentioned. Let's take a look at what it's going to take for us to get there and to, to, and to deliver the results. And we want to get better in terms of how we manage the, 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 the projects. Absolutely. We need information that helps us understand. Did we miss deadlines on a regular basis? Maybe we missed out on the planning element of this. But do I need timesheets to be able to validate this? I just don't believe we do. And I'm just looking for a very clear and me being an engineer, mathematically valid approach that says, this is the true value that timesheets give me. Not how much comfort does it give me, but what true value it drives for the organization and how it keeps me from making bad decisions, such as bringing on a partner who could truly add value, but she's too expensive for us. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, timesheets just focus, you know, employees' minds on the wrong things, on the on the inputs instead of the outputs, on what actually is important to clients. You know, who who cares whether you spent four hours on it if the client should have had it two weeks ago? Clients care about speed. Clients care about turnaround times. So let's get better at managing the capacity that we have and actually fulfilling what our clients really want. You know, a client doesn't really care how long you spend on something. They care when they get it. You know, if you have a, you break down on the road and someone comes out 
to you and um, you know to repair a tire for example um you know if if we cared about how long someone spends then we'd be happy for them to spend four hours and then pay you know fifty dollars for that privilege but actually if they can do it in four minutes we'd pay the, you know probably pay double or triple the amount because what we care about is being on our way and, and and getting along so we care about the end result and the outcome rather than how long it takes us to get there and it's interesting what you brought about the you know the you know, people changing the perceptions in terms of you know the the nine to five model and we did something similar a few years back where we went to a the results only work environment where you can work when where and how they want as long as the work gets done so i have no idea how long my team spend working in the week uh you know whether it's i don't know if it's 40 hours i don't know whether it's 20 hours or 10 hours it's completely up to them but they are responsible for the work so we've clearly articulated what is the work and now you have complete control and autonomy around how and when you do that work as long as we get it done by the deadlines as long as clients uh, emails and phone calls are returned in time in terms in in line with you know our uh, our service level agreements and the work is turned around you know before the deadlines and uh, you know all that kind of good stuff which which clients really want and that's all that matters this this you know, whole notion of working 40 hours a week stems from the industrial age when we had to physically be in factories for work to get done fast forward 100 plus years we're in the digital age we are mostly knowledge workers and you know for knowledge workers work doesn't have to take 40 hours a week we could have a million dollar idea in the shower for example you know where do i put that on the time sheet um so we need to completely rethink you know the way, way we work and uh, really interesting to hear your comments on that so there's a question coming in from andrew about what you were saying earlier i think i missed this one uh is this an extension of zero-based budgeting concept i would argue that zero-based budgeting is actually an extension of this Mm -hmm. And here's why. And the book Strategic Cost Transformation, what I do is I break organizations down into two what I call business domains. There's the operations and cash domain, and then there's the accounting domain. In the operations and cash domain, it's focused on what, what am I buying from a capacity perspective? The people, materials, space, equipment, technology, those types of things. How am I consuming that to create output? That work ties into how much money I spend, what I buy, when I buy it, how much I'm paying for it, and how much money I realize. I create output, some of that output is saleable. So when I start thinking about how do I budget for this, then the idea of what's the output that I need, and then what are the resources or what's the capacity that I need to be able to create that output, it's all about operations and cash-based decisions. Now, trying to figure out, okay, so given the idea that this is what I need to create from an operations and cash perspective, how do I budget for it? Then that then becomes a, a, a an offshoot of saying, okay, so this is the output I need to create. This is how efficiently I'm currently doing it. And so for me to be able to, to create this output, this is how much, how many, how much capacity I'm going to need and how much money I'm going to need for the capacity. Now, if I need to change that, let's change two things, either a, how much the output is, how much output you're expecting me to create, or B, help me create this output more efficiently so I can do it with fewer resources. And so to me, those are all the business decisions then that support the idea of going with the zero-based budgeting and saying, okay, so using this information, then what should the budget be? But to me, it starts with operations and cash and saying, okay, so if I need to create 10 widgets, how much material do I need? How, many, how much labor do I need? What equipment do I need? And then making the decisions and saying, okay, so for me to be able to create this output, this is what I'm going to need. So let's have a conversation now based on the factual information 
not the anecdotal information, but historical information or analyses that we've done to say, okay, this is what I think it's going to take. Let's have a conversation for me to be able to do this. If you can't, if you don't have that money, let's understand where we can make compromises, where we can make changes so that we can create the output by spending less money. So I don't think it starts with the budgeting. I think that budgeting is something that's certainly enabled by this, uh, because when you start talking about, for instance, uh, the groups that say, well, you know, let's just increase our budgets by one one percent this year. Well, let's go back to that and say, okay, so what's increasing or what's changing from a capacity perspective and an output capacity perspective that's forcing us to have to spend more money to do this? And if there's nothing there, then the question is, do we need to spend more money, right? So to me, um, and, and I talk a little bit about budgeting and strategic cost transformation, but it's more about how do I manage the, the business and what are the tools that are out there? that can help me make more factual uh, decisions from this data rather than just saying, hey, let's just do this because it seems like the right thing to do and we, we don't want to jump through the, the hoops of creating a budget. Fantastic. Thank you for that, uh, Reginald. We'll take one last question from uh, Brian before we wrap up. Brian says, some of my clients are very profitable. How do we know that? But generate low revenue. Should I go for high revenue clients that are less profitable? Yeah, this kind of goes back to the the, the 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 decisions that we're making, right? So are we talking about making money or are we talking about profit? Give me an example. I had a customer, and I think I talk about it in Wise Damn Wise, a um a publisher that was everything they sold was profitable and they were going out of business. <laughs> so what decisions are we looking to make? Are you looking to make money for your firm? And how are you calculating the profit? Right? Are you looking at the resources? For instance, um, do you have temporary workers that you bring in for work? So for instance, let's say you're doing a tax return and you're going to charge $100 for the tax return, but you got to pay the person $150 to do the tax return that, you know, I, I know I'm losing money from that and I know it's not profitable. But if I'm going to charge $100 for a tax return and the value of my accountant is $150, I'm not losing money on that because I'm paying them whether they're doing the tax return or not. Now, would I like to be able to generate a, a higher price tax returns? Absolutely. The question is, what decisions are we making? So, you know, Brian, to your point, the, you know, going back to your firm, what are you trying to create with your firm? Um, what are your, your objectives? I, it's hard for me to answer this just without more context, but I would suggest that, um, you know, if, I've, if, I've, if you've got the resources and delivering the resources, for example, if the one-off work that you were talking about earlier, Right. If the one off work is going to consume more of my resources, so the quote, quote unquote cost of that's going to be higher, but I'm going to generate more revenue from a cash perspective, you're actually going to be better off because you're going to be able to generate more money with the same resources. I'm going to be paying them whether they're doing this project or not. If you've got the same resources and you're bringing in revenue, then although the project may look more profitable, if not, if I'm not generating the cash like that uh, publishing company wasn't, you can find yourself in a challenging situation. So it, there's a risk in answering this question without a little bit more background, but I would propose that depending on how you're calculating profit, and that's the key, how you're pro calculating the profit, um, I would generally go more for the high revenue clients that are less profitable. Hmm. Absolutely. And I, and I guess it all boils down to it. It's nigh on impossible, right? So if you've got if you've got a fixed, if you've got your, your essentially the the costs that we're going to pay out are our people costs, our software costs, and our kind of establishment costs. 
And yeah, most of us kind of have, uh, you know, employed people uh, rather than engaging in, in temporary workers uh, to, to, to carry out the work that we have to do. So it's about kind of leveraging the, uh, the resources at our disposal to try and maximize the value that we are getting from them. And that all boils down to knowing what you do really well. And if Brian, for you, if that is doing, you know, um, perhaps tax returns, then then leverage that and having a a pricing matrix that enables you to get the highest price possible for the value that you deliver in what you are extremely good and skilled at. And that, you know, that boils down to two things, knowing who your audience is and knowing what you do really well in-house. And when you get that right and you can optimize for both of those, that's how you can then generate you know, uh, efficiency and get the higher price and therefore the profit jumps out at the bottom, right? Fantastic. Okay, well, we're out of time. And uh, is there, first, before we wrap up, Reginald, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't that you would like to uh, add in at this stage before we wrap up? Yeah, I don't think so. I think what's what's important for me is what people are thinking. And so I love the questions. I love the the thoughts behind the questions. Um, if, you, if you all have any additional questions or have any additional context you can provide, I'd be happy to answer the questions offline. But uh, no, I, I, it was a lot of fun. So thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I, I hope you've taken value from today. If you've attended, hit the uh, hit the thumbs up button if you have. And as Reginald so, um, uh, so kindly uh, said, if you want to reach out to him, then feel free to reach out to him on LinkedIn. Is that right? Is that the best place to? LinkedIn's absolutely fine. Um, also, I teach at Xavier University. My uh, email is leer8 at xavier, X-A-V-I-E-R dot E-D-U. Again, L-E-E-R-8 at xavier.edu. I'm happy to answer questions via email as well. Fantastic. That's very kind of you, Rachel. Thank you again so much. And if you're watching this on replay, then feel free to put in a question in the comments below and tag in Reginald. And when he sees it, if he sees it, uh, I'm sure he will be happy to to answer as and when he gets around to it. So thank you once again, Reginald. Oh, I forgot to mention if you know his books are great. I have bought uh, Lies, Damn Lies on Amazon. So if you um, yeah, if you kind of want to, to read a bit more into it and read more into Reginald's work, then uh, then do get his book from there. Is is the other one out? Strategic cost transformation is that yeah that one's been out for a few years um so that one actually puts in the context so given lies damn lies and cost accounting what do i do and so that's kind of the follow-on and then the latest one was project profitability so when i'm doing improvement projects it transformations lean how do i make sure they're driving cash value and in many cases they don't and so it lays out an approach that helps you make sure that that happens Fantastic. Yeah. Regional work is great. So go and check it out. Buy his books on Amazon. But otherwise, thank you so much for attending today. And I'll see you on the next one. Reginald, thank you once again. Take care and we'll speak soon. Thanks, Rosa. Thank you for listening. For more free content, videos, and resources, visit www.rezahuda.com. And if you haven't already, come and join the community in our Transform Your Profits Facebook group, where we support each other to build more successful, profitable, and impactful accounting firms.